0: Chapter 6, we're going to deal with a a very familiar miracle on the part of Christ, and I'd like to examine it specifically in in light of of missions, in light of uh, the reaching out that God has called us to do uh, as His children. Turn to Mark chapter 6, and to begin, let's read uh, verses 30 through 34. And the apostles gathered themselves together into Jesus and told Him all things "...both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest awhile, For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people, when they saw him departing, and many knew him, ran thither afoot out of all cities, and outwent them and came together unto him." And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray that your spirit would move mightily, Lord, that you would rid me of myself, uh, that your spirit would be able to speak directly to your children. And as your children, Father, that you would move us, uh, help us to understand where application is needed uh, so that we can leave tonight more conformed to your image. It's in your precious and holy name that I pray. Amen. Uh, In Sunday school, uh, it's one of the earliest stories that we're taught, the feeding of the 5,000. It's something that we're we're very, very familiar with. And and as I approached it, the Lord kept directing my thinking back to this passage. And so I started doing some digging, looking into it. And it's actually a very remarkable passage. There's some context, a little bit of lead up that's important for us to be able to understand. First of all, uh, just a a note of, uh, not trivia, but a side note that was of interest to me. This is one of the few miracles that appears in all four of the Gospels. We understand that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic gospels, and John is a little bit different. And he addresses specifically the deity of Christ. But this is one of the few that's in all four. And in all four, it's always placed at the climax of Christ's ministry. So it's, there seems to, the Bible seems to be indicating through that a, a certain level of importance with this. Uh, also, the, at the time that this particular miracle occurred, it was close to the Passover. So the population in the area surrounding Jerusalem would have been much larger than typical. Scholars tell us anywhere from 25 to 30,000 at this time is how many people lived inside Jerusalem. But at the time of the Passover, that could swell to 125, 140,000 people. So it, it's, it's a, a very crowded area previous to what we see here in Mark chapter 6 and verse 30, if we look at the first half of Matthew, we see that, that Christ had actually finished um, uh, his third preaching tour. That was exhausting. You know, I just talked to you a little bit about teaching in the Bible college and I've had uh, the, the privilege of teaching in a Christian school as well. And you talk all day and it's exhausting. And that's if they are well-behaved and if they Listen. Christ teaching all day and doing this preaching tour throughout Galilee would have been physically exhausting. And we understand that Christ, though he was entirely untainted by sin, did experience human emotion. Now, an unemotional being could not create emotional means. So we understand that God doesn't possess emotions, however they are perfect. And so Christ, we see in the scriptures that Jesus wept at the burial of Lazarus. We see that he wept for Jerusalem. Uh, we see Christ demonstrating many different emotions. We understand that he also needed to sleep. He experienced fatigue. Undoubtedly, Christ is experiencing a certain level of physical fatigue here. He's tired from that preaching tour. And things did not go well. The Bible Bible tells us clearly that Christ was tested at every turn, whether it was the the Sadducees or the Pharisees or the scribes. People were constantly trying to undercut his ministry, to trap him in a question, to make life difficult for him, to woo the crowds away from him. So Christ is certainly very tired when we get to this miracle. He has that level of physical exhaustion. But that's not the only thing that he's dealing with. Uh, we actually see that his, uh, his cousin had just been killed. and one of, In one of the accounts of the four Gospels, we see preceding this John the Baptist. John the Baptist is killed. Uh, John the Baptist was not only a family member, he was his forerunner in the ministry. A very close relationship there. And so uh, we know the story with Herod and, and, uh, and his daughter and his wife. And Herod, in order to appease his wife, decided to behead, uh, behead John the Baptist, and his disciples had come to Christ and told him that. It's at this time, after Christ receiving this news and completing his third preaching tour, that now the disciples come back from their preaching tour that he had sent them on. And what's surprising to me, what stood out to me, is knowing all the background, what Christ had gone through, his reaction. If I were to give a title to the message this evening, it would be a heart of compassion. And I believe that we see Christ demonstrating compassion to two entities in this passage, and we'll look at a third elsewhere. But first and foremost, we see a heart of compassion for the disciples. Christ uh, was concerned about them. We just discussed everything that he went through. But yet his first reflex was to think about them. Look in verse 30 with me. And the apostles gathered themselves together into Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. We understand that Christ is the Son of God. He's a member of the Godhead. Uh, Obviously, at certain points in times, he limited certain of his attributes. But we know that he was omniscient. Christ always knew what the Pharisees were thinking and he said it to them constantly. And in the, in, in, uh, I think the Bible reads, and he discerned in their hearts what they were saying and then he would answer it. Christ knew what had happened on the disciples' preaching tour. He knew what, the, what conversations were had. You know, if it were me in my fallen state, I'd be a little impatient. Right? I, I know all of this already. I know exactly what happened. But that's not Christ's response. He demonstrates compassion. He listened to their full report. About everything that happened. So we see this compassion immediately. And then he demonstrates a a, a concern for their physical well being. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves, in verse 31, apart into a desert place and rest awhile. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. So Christ is demonstrating this heart for the disciples. Though he was mourning the loss of John the Baptist and was exhausted, he still cared for them in his condition. Nowhere in these verses do we hear Christ saying, we need to get away somewhere because I've been through the wringer. Okay, I've lost a family member. I'm exhausted from all that I've had to go through. We just need to get away and I need to pray for a while. We don't see that at all. His concern is, is levied towards the disciples. And I'd like to draw a comparison between the three groups that we see tonight and make application to us today. And if you would permit me to do so, I would say the disciples would be our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Christ models for us the compassion that we're supposed to have, that we must emulate, that we must demonstrate to other people. And so the first group of people that the Scriptures brings our attention to is our brothers and sisters in Christ. Those in our church, those in our state, those that we come into contact with. So first, Christ's heart of compassion for the disciples. Next, let's see his heart of compassion for the multitude. Beginning in verse 33. And the, people, and the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all cities, and outwent them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, was moved with compassion toward them, because they were a sheep not having a shepherd, and began to teach them many things. We see here a cause and an effect. Christ saw the multitude, and it resulted in an effect. Uh, we see a similar principle in Lamentations 351 where it says, Mine eye affecteth my heart because of the daughters of my city. Christ, took, uh, Christ had uh, care for the broken and the needy. He was concerned about them. When he saw their need and their state, he did not think of himself nor the disciples. Rather, his attention was turned to them. You know, it, it, is, it is very easy for us to, to, to step over this. It, if you would permit me, I'd like to touch on the fact that Christ experienced biblical emotion. And it's very different from what we see in society today. Uh, how many of you are familiar with Hallmark and its movies? A few of you? Okay. I hope not to alienate myself from half of the audience. All right. But if we're to, uh, let's just say uh, there's, a, there's a widower, right? And he has two young daughters, right? Cute as can be, extremely well-behaved, and he's heartbroken because his wife died from a tragic illness that took her away it was a long suffering process and he's in a small town and he had a high school sweetheart and they don't know each other anymore and she went off to the big city and she came back for a short period of time and while she's there they run into each other at the supermarket and it seems to be a connection and then they leave and, and go apart, go, go the separate ways and he feels something so they spend a little bit more time together and then she goes to leave and he's torn and he meets this old lady on the road and she says, son, you just need to follow your heart. And so he does. And he runs after her, and, uh, every, everything, and everyone lives happily ever after. If it sounds like I just summarized every Hallmark movie, it's because I did. They're, they're all basically the same plot. But what we see is, is society is teaching us, even in ways that we don't expect, that we must follow our heart. We must follow our emotion. But what does the Bible tell us by way of our heart? It's deceitfully wicked. It's desperately sick. Who can know it? So the reality is Christ, obviously being the Son of God, the living incarnate Word of God, His mind was filled with biblical principle. The same must be true of us. Biblical emotion only comes after we have filled our mind with His Word. My father had a saying growing up that I, I took close to heart. He said that biblical thinking produces biblical action which will result in biblical emotion. See, society today flips it. The emotion first and we'll follow that. But the Word of God teaches us that we must fill our mind with His Word. And if we do that, then we will have the correct emotion. I like to interject one word into that statement because it applies to me personally. Biblical thinking will, uh, b- a biblical thinking will produce biblical action, which will eventually result in biblical emotion. Because if you're anything like me, sometimes it takes a while to feel the emotions you're supposed to. Amen. Amen. So we see here that Christ saw the condition of these people and it had an effect on Him. And he responded biblically. Should we find ourselves in a similar situation, I don't think anyone would blame us if we said, We're so tired. I'm not sure we can do this. But Christ, with his mind governed by God's word, was able to respond in a way that brought glory to him. Uh, in the Ivory Coast, I was responsible, some of those mission trips I told you about, I was responsible to give tours. So dad would handle the ministry aspect, and as I would grow up and I became a little bit more responsible, he delegated to me. I showed them the town. That's the fun part, right? So you get to see all the different parts of it, I wanted to make sure that they knew uh, they had a good feel for the city when they left. Well, there's one neighborhood across the road from our neighborhood, and the name of it is Without Law. Uh, that's not as bad as you think. Okay? I know you guys are thinking, wow, the missionaries, uh, these visitors come out to the missionary, and he takes them to a place that's called Without Law. Well, what happened is the electrical company built its institute. Uh, it's not its institute, it's university. And all the workers, after they had finished building it, they just squatted on the lane and they took it over. And so that's, that's why it's called Without Law, not because of like, terrible violence or anything. I wasn't putting them in danger. I know I invited you at the beginning, and now you're thinking, I'm not quite sure I want to go out there. Um, but the reason I did that is because uh, there, there's a desperate need that's evident, and you're able to see it with your own two eyes. As we would walk into this neighborhood, inevitably, people were laughing and talking. And that's a good thing. When you go out on mission trips, you ought to enjoy it. You know, one of the characteristics of a believer is joy. And so we should be exuding it. There's no problem with it. But as we would walk through the neighborhood, the talking would start to filter away. By the time we got to the end, nobody was talking. And if they were, it was only in hushed tones. Why? It's because they were confronted with a desperate need that they had not seen before in their life. A terrible physical need. It had an effect on them. Now here in Washington, we, we may or may not have neighborhoods like that. But I can tell you there is a desperate spiritual need Everywhere. And there are people in your life who have that need. And when you see them, even if their personality grates you, even if it's difficult to, to develop that relationship with them, we must look at them with the same eyes that Christ looked at this multitude and have compassion on them and work to bring them to him. So Christ's compassion resulted in an action. He received it. In the parallel account in Luke, it says, and the people, when they knew it, followed him, and he received them and spake unto them the kingdom of God, and healed them that had need of healing. Christ did this even though many people in the crowd could have just been thrill seekers and not actually concerned about his truth. They were just there for the next big miracle. They were there for the next spectacular event. Christ did this even though many of them did not deserve it. It's entirely probable, given where this occurs in Scripture, that many of these people were shouting, crucify him before Pilate. And the Son of God would have been aware of this. And yet he stayed there all day and demonstrated compassion to them and worked with them and taught them. So we see Christ in this passage here. We see Christ's heart of compassion for the disciples, our brothers and sisters in Christ, the multitude, which would be the area around us, the people around us. And we see him extending this even further. If you'd like to, you could turn with me. I'm going to read one verse out of Acts. But Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it's a well-known verse. Christ says here, but ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You have to understand how radical a statement this is here. In the Old Testament, the mission's model was Israel was to be the light. And Israel would follow the Lord and... and, uh, Their lifestyle and way of going about things and following God's commandments would make them unique, would make them different. We see often in Scripture the word peculiar, set apart. The world would see that and then come to the light as a moth would be to a flame. They're attracted to the truth. That's why in the Levitical law there's a process for Gentiles to be proselytized. They could become Jews and follow the one and true living God. That was the missions model in the Old Testament. Christ here in Acts is flipping that model on its head. Is saying now you take it to the uttermost parts of the earth, whereas before you lived for me and wait for people to come to you to ask about the truth. Now I'm telling you to go out. We see his heart of compassion clearly for the uttermost parts of the earth. It is Christ's desire that all will be saved. We see in Second Peter chapter three and verse nine, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. And I would really like to encourage you tonight, Brian Baptist, this is exactly what you're doing. You are following the biblical model. Not only were you kind to me, your fellow brother in Christ, but I heard a lot of the interactions between you. There's a love there. There was a kindness. There was a compassion that was demonstrated. That's exactly what God would have you be doing. I've I've seen the, the different signs in the foyer. You have different outreaches that are going on. You are doing your best to demonstrate that heart of compassion to share the gospel with the multitude that's around you here in Washington. And you are involved in missions and have a tremendous heart for that. And so you are doing your best to send the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. You are doing exactly what Christ would have you to do, and I encourage you in that. That is a wonderful thing. God will continue to bless that. So we see that we're supposed to have this heart of compassion. But if you're anything like me, it's easier to have compassion towards some people than other people. That's right. Yes? Sometimes it's easier to have compassion in some circumstances as opposed to other circumstances. You know, some people, if they breathe the wrong way, you're already irritated. Okay? Not, not, not. And we may, be, we may all be good Christians, but heaven forbid someone cut us off in traffic. Uh, The funny thing about that is the Ivory Coast is a very laid-back culture, very hospitable. They're known in West Africa for being hospitable, but they are the exact same way on the road as we are. (laughs) It it would appear that, for whatever reason, traffic reduces us to our common uh, lowest denominator. Um, But it is difficult sometimes to have this heart of compassion for the people that we need to. It's going to require patience. And we see Christ teaching patience even here in this particular story. Uh, take a look with me in verse 35. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. And he answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred pennyworth of bread?" and give them to eat and he said unto them how many loaves have ye go and see and when they knew they said five and two fishes and he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass and they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties and when he had taken the loaves and the two fishes he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the, and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before him. and the two fishes he divided amongst them all and they did all eat and were filled and they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments And of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. It required patience of the disciples. The day was far past. If you take a look at at the parallel account in Luke, it said, And when the day began to wear away. I like that because it adds even more color to what they were going through. It had been a long day, and they were really tired, and, and they were at their wits' end. And Christ was asking them to have even more patience. It would have taken patience for them to work with Him all day, it would have taken patience for them to organize everybody. I was in charge of a classroom that at most had 30 students in it. I can't imagine trying to organize thousands upon thousands of people into ranks of 50 and ranks of 100. So Christ was teaching them patience. Uh, this is a, this, though it was a miraculous provision, it required time to pass out this food to all the sitting, Christ often allows difficulties in our life to teach us patience. I, I heard a, a, a preacher one time say, be careful about praying for patience because God will teach it to you. And I, I realized that though I was deficient in, pray, and in patience, it was probably best that I not pray for it. Maybe just pray that God allowed me to grow in it or, or whatnot. Because if you pray for patience, God will bring circumstances into your life that will require you to grow exponentially in patience. Um, growing up out there, it's easier for me, but a big area of culture shock for missionaries in the Ivory Coast is how slow everything is. You know, bureaucracy is a French word, don't forget. And the French colonized the Ivory Coast, and they have really taken that to heart. It is a very lengthy process to get things done. So it, it happens over a period of time. You have to be patient. The people as well, when you go out uh, witnessing, you are only going to get to four homes because the culture dictates that they bring you into the house, that they sit you down, they give you water, they ask how you're doing, and then they ask why you're there. So it's, it's a wonderful thing because you have a five to ten minute opportunity built into the culture to present the gospel to every person. But it also means you're probably only getting, going to get to four or five in an afternoon. It takes a little bit of patience. Christ taught that uh, to the disciples here. We see Christ's miracle also demonstrates the power of God. We already read that the it said at least 5,000 men. Well, most scholars, the most conservative of biblical scholars, estimate that when you add in the women and children, it was at least 25,000. With some scholars going as high as 45,000, because they, there were a lot of children and there were a lot of women, and so they certainly would have flocked out with them. This is a significant event. There are... A, a, A great number of people here and Christ miraculously provided for them all that was his power I'm sure you guys have wonderful illustrations in your own life of Christ's power of what he has done for you of how he has opened doors that you thought would never be opened I as well have experienced that I remember being a young child uh, sitting in in the driver's seat I thought it was so cool back then you know to get in the driver's seat was a big deal when I was younger and uh, we were in town, and there was an elder, uh, an older African gentleman that came up to my dad's, uh, the driver's side window, and aggressively motioned for him to lower the window. My dad did that, and he came within about an inch of my dad's nose and said, I'm the chief of the village. Uh, Conzo Rualdo, I'm telling you, we don't need your church in our village. We have everything we need. You can stay here in the town, do your little churching, that's fine. We don't need you. We don't want you. We're not open to you. You have to understand that is a remarkable statement for an African to make culturally. That is about as closed of a door as they're going to find. Well, they would not allow us in. There's a single missionary nurse that's been working with my family for the, I think since 2010. And with her help, we started working on a clinic. And what we would do is we would subsidize the clinic, we would make it incredibly affordable for even the poorest of people to be able to see a doctor, to be able to get their medicine. We would work with them, we'd give them a John and Roman, we'd follow up with them afterwards. After 10 years of working, uh, of working to meet the community's physical needs, God started opening doors. And, and I'm, I'm here to tell you today that we've held a Bible study in all 12 of the villages around the Ivory Coast. We're currently ready to break ground on a church in one of them, and we have a strong cell group in another. That is a door that only God could have opened. God is a wonderful God who possesses all the power. And if, if maybe you are at a particular moment in your life where you are discouraged, or you feel like there's no way to get through a particular door, please remember that the same God who demonstrated this incredible power at the feeding of the 5,000s is present also in your life, and he is capable of opening doors that you thought could never be opened. Well, in order to have this patience, as I talked earlier, it's easier to demonstrate this patience and compassion towards some people than others, right? So how is it that we do it in all circumstances the way that we're supposed to? And the short answer is a Christ-centered focus. If we are focused on Christ, we'll be able to do this. Uh, The disciples made this mistake. In verses 35 through 36, we see a problem, right? The day began to wear away. There was no more time left, and there was no food. It's a big problem to have when you have this many people. As Baptists, we're known for loving good food. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Well, here they have a problem, a big problem. There is no food, and they're concerned uh, uh, about the people. So Christ, actually, if you look in John chapter 6, and I won't read it for sake of time, but John chapter 6, verses 5 through 11, Christ anticipates this problem. And he asks one disciple specifically, he asks Philip. Now, why would he ask Philip? Because Philip is from this region. And Christ is testing him. Are you going to look to your own ability to take care of this problem, or are you going to place faith in me? What a wonderful learning uh, lesson for Philip. So as, uh, as this problem comes to a head, no, uh, no time to, to send them away and no food for them. Christ again demonstrates, you need to be focused on me. You stop worrying about how to solve this problem. You do what the word tells you to do and trust me that I will open the rest of the doors. We also, so we need to be focused on God and not our own ability. We need to be focused on him and not our own surroundings. It says it's a desert place. Now we see in other accounts that there's grass, so I don't think it was the desert like the Sahara, but it was a secluded place far away from uh, uh, from civilization, it would have been difficult for them to get back. Now, God was teaching the multitude in the desert, but He was also teaching His disciples. God teaches us in the desert as well in our own lives. Why? Because there He has our full attention. When things are very difficult for us and we don't have anywhere else to turn, where do we turn? We turn to God. Many times He teaches us the most important lessons in the desert times of our life because then He has our full attention. God teaches us when we are the weakest. Why does he do that? Because when we are weak, that is when we learn to depend on him and lean on him. And in our weakness, he is made strong. God has us give to others when we think we have nothing left to give. Why? Because he knows that we are to be living sacrificially for the advancement of his kingdom. I I spoke about the medical ministry in the Ivory Coast and, and the missionary that has worked with us, Christine McLaughlin, and she's actually started a medical ministry to reach into the interior of the country. So what she does is she recruits medical personnel from the states, and they pool their vacation time and their resources, and they all come out. And then we will go to a location, and we always pick a a new church plant or an area where someone wants to start a church. And we'll come in for uh, three days and provide free health care. So you come and see the doctor, and that's free. All medicines are paid for um, by the support that Christina's raised and by the doctors who come and assist her. It's an incredible process. When people hear they're getting free health care, they come. Typically, we have, every day we have 1,500 that are outside. Now, we're not, we're not able to always see 1,500 a day, but they're there. So the way that it works is we'll set them up in tents beforehand, and either my father, another missionary, or one of the veteran national pastors out there, will give them the gospel. So before the day even starts, we've already planted that seed in their mind. Then after they go through triage and they get their vitals checked, their symptoms noted, they'll come to the doctor. And that's where I came in. No, I'm not a doctor. I get, some of you got concerned. Um, I'm just the translator. The doctor speaks English and uh, the patient speaks French. So I would translate between the two of them. And it was a long and grueling day, I can tell you that. Once they leave us, they go to the the waiting room where they'll wait for the pharmacy to fill the order for whatever illness they had, whether it was an antibiotic or something else that they needed. And while they're waiting, people from our church would give them a one-on-one presentation of the gospel. I'm telling you, you have no idea how excited the people in our church are for these medical days. Because they're, they're burdened for their community. They're burdened for the people around them. And to have this chance for someone willingly to sit down in front of them. And they're not going to say anything because they want the medicine. <laughs> sit down in front of them and listen to the gospel. It's a marvelous thing. As I told you before, it gets grueling. I, I, I am not exaggerating at all. I promise you. It was not uncommon for me to translate for 200 patients in a day. And I get to the end of that day and I'm just, I'm one thing. We get to afternoon, and it's like, I, I don't know how many more I can do. You look outside, and there's at least 300 outside. My goodness, what am I going to do? And so I, I typically ask for a moment, and I would get up, and I would walk down to the waiting room. And I would see our people witnessing to them. And I can see it now. And they had been presenting the gospel all day. They'd been talking every bit as much as I had. And here they are, still smiles on their faces, thrilled to be able to present Jesus to one more person, giving sacrificially. And I would take that in for a few minutes and then go back. You know, I think I can do a little bit more. I think I have more to give. I can translate for a little bit while longer. You no, know, God expects us to give sacrificially, it's the most meaningful sacrifice to Him. And it's true that there's going to be people in your life, in your personal life, in your community, where it is so difficult to demonstrate this heart of compassion. But we must do it anyways. Because Christ has set the example for us. When we see the need, the desperate need that is there, we must give sacrificially of ourselves. Sometimes it's of our time, sometimes it's of our resources. But such sacrifice is is holy and it's accepted by God. So in this passage today, we see that Christ's compassion was demonstrated. We see his heart for the disciples, for his fellow brothers and sisters. And us today, I've been incredibly encouraged by what I've noticed by spending time with you before, and I certainly look forward to it afterwards as well. And I encourage you to continue doing that. That brings honor and glory to God. That is exactly what he would have us be doing. We see Christ's heart for the multitude. And we're continually to be reaching out to those all around us. Uh, not only in our own city, but the cities around us, to the best of our ability, spreading Christ as far as we possibly can. And then we ought to be reaching into the uttermost parts of the earth. And I've actually heard of your zeal, of your passion in this area, before I even came here. And that is a wonderful testimony. You realize that you are intricately involved in the Great Commission. I think sometimes we only think about it one way. As you partner with missionaries, it is true that they help you accomplish your responsibility to the uttermost parts of the earth. But the opposite is also true. For those who, as you partner in prayer with us, we pray, we pray for you and you pray for us. You are helping us. Now that we've been here, we've met people, we have a burden for this area. You are helping us accomplish our great commission to the people right here in Washington. So I encourage you in that. Even though it gets difficult, we must remember, in order to be able to have this compassion the way that we ought to, we must have a focus on God's ability and not our own, on Him and not our, on our circumstances. If I could, if I could have you stand to your feet and bow your head.